Uh, I'm going to continue my, uh, kind of like my sermon series on the parables of Jesus. I started it last week and we talked about why Jesus uh, talks in parables and why he taught in parables. Um, really, he says that these are the secrets of the kingdom and it's not uh, given for everybody to be able to understand and be op- are open, the, their hearts are open to receive uh, the secrets of the kingdom. Um, and so he teaches in these parables and, and we're going to see it today is that you know, the people with their hearts are ready and they're open. They receive it. They're able to understand it. They go home. They process it. And, and you know, they, they are able to find the truth. And then there's some people, it just like flies right over their heads. Right? And they just, their hearts are not open. Um, and so today, uh, Ina read Matthew 9. Uh, it's a big chunk of Matthew 9. And uh, I wanted to look at this parable because it's also, this same parable is also mentioned um, about the wineskin and the new garment and all that. Um, it's mentioned in the three, uh, it's called the Synoptic Gospels, is, is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're, uh, it's like there's four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar, right? Some of them actually have same, like, uh, same words. Um, it, it almost seemed like uh, Matthew was, like, copied from Mark or something like that. Um, because it, 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 these all came out after Jesus died and was, it was ascended into heaven. And then all these, uh, the apostles wanted to, like, like write down their what, what experience and they they wanted to like convey to different groups of people like why they needed to believe in Jesus and so Matthew, Mark and Luke they're very similar if you read it you know they sometimes it's very repetitive and there's it's like it's like the same parables John is like completely different John um, you know he's like it's like Matthew Mark and Luke were like like sanguines and then John was a melancholy you know what I mean like John just like he 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 was like following Jesus and he had a completely different kind of a headspace uh, when he was following Jesus, and he recorded um, a completely different side story of the Bible. There are certain things that are recorded in John that aren't in the first um, three Gospels. But then I found it very interesting that these three, this story, what what Ine read, is in the in the um, three Gospels exactly the way it is. It's like it's like in the same order, um, it has the same context, and it's actually at the beginning of Jesus' ministry before the Pharisees had. Uh, figured out like who Jesus was or like what kind of person Jesus was. Um, this story comes um, at the beginning of Jesus' Jesus's ministry, where the Pharisees and the scribes take note of Jesus for the first time, right? Like there's all like Jesus, he comes onto the scene, right? Um, he gets baptized by John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he's been like, you know, he was this crazy guy with camel fur and like you know, eating locusts out in the wilderness, and everybody's like, who's this guy? But then he had a huge following, like a, a bunch of people, a lot of people followed uh, um, were followers of John the Baptist and he would he was like you know declaring the coming of the Messiah and then Jesus comes and he's like oh you need to baptize me he gets baptized and then um, you know he's like oh I'm not worthy but he's like I have to be baptized in order for me to fulfill all righteousness and so now Jesus he gets this is like the beginning of his ministry he gets baptized he goes in the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights and he's tempted by the devil and then he picks his, he, he calls his disciples and then he's starting to preach, and he's starting to do, like, miracles, signs, and wonders, right? He's, like, healing people, like, you know, lame or walking. Like, you know, he does these amazing um, um, signs, and people are being healed. Demons are being cast out. Um, and he's preaching is, like, you know, he's preaching the, the repentance um, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then right as his popularity is starting to, like, get big, and there's, he's, he's beginning to have this, all these following, right, um, this happens. And this happens around the same time in each of the three synoptic gospels, right? And I feel like Matthew, um, it, it kind of, uh, they're all similar. They're very similar, but Matthew 
I, th- I felt had a very uh, a good um, uh, rendition of this this what happened with Jesus in this thing. And so you have to understand this 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 section um, it goes in order. Okay, Jesus heals heals a paralytic man, right? And then um, the, the the Pharisees notice him, right? They they notice him, and then they 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 bring up a question about fasting, and then Jesus answers that question about fasting, and then he tells this parable about a patch of new garment um, on, on an old garment and then uh, new, new wine into new wineskin. And so um, let's, we have to look at it in context. Every time you read the Bible, like you guys have to understand, please read the Bible in context. Don't just go and read, like, you know, go look up a, a favorite passage and then just read that passage alone. Because if you do that, you're missing how that passage actually like connects to the rest of the story. The Bible is a story that's been written. It's one of the most amazing stories because it all somehow in some way points to Jesus. Right? And it all points to Jesus on the cross. And so um, I, I picked this passage because I, I've been doing a lot of research on parables and it really like struck out to me um, how this is, it's like, like, it's like deposited into the three Gospels like perfectly in this order. And so let's read it together. Um, I'm going to put it up on the board, but um, if you want to look at it in context, What's going on with my... There you go. Um, And it starts in chapter 9, in verse 1, it says, And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, okay, we have to keep that in mind, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes, I said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to man. And so this paralytic man is brought to Jesus, and Jesus heals him by forgiving his sins. Now, Jesus can do this is because he, who is Jesus? He's the Son of God, right? He's the Son of God. He is God. And so he can forgive sins. And in doing this, Jesus is pointing to the fact that not only do we need like physical healing when we're sick, but we also need spiritual healing. Man needs to be healed spiritually. Right? We need a Savior. We need uh, to be forgiven. We need to be made right with God. And you have to understand that the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious elite back then believed that they were all good. They thought that, oh man, we're, we're okay here. We're good. They believed that they were righteous because all of the many religious commandments that they followed they, and they adhered to, they felt that they were righteous because they were following all of these religious rituals and religious rites and, and things of cleanliness, that they never touched certain things and they never did certain things, uh, which, which they felt made them holy, and they thought that they were right with God. Like, they could read. Not everybody could read back then, right? The elite were able to read, and they were able to read the Torah, Torah and the Scriptures. So, like, a vast majority of the people back then weren't able to read. And so they weren't able to, like, really understand. So, so it, it really, like, came down to um, the religious elite back then. They, they thought that they were right with God. And, you have, and the, the religious elite and the Pharisees and the scribes created a society where if you weren't one of them, it was almost impossible. This is really strong. It was almost impossible 
for regular people uh, to come anywhere near this standard. Right? The religious elite, they were able to, you know, like do all of these things. They would, they would like um, be able to follow all of these like rituals and these things. But the regular people, the regular, like everyday Joe on the street in Jerusalem, um, they weren't able to like come anywhere close to the standards that they had made for themselves. And so for someone like this paralytic man, his condition has put him in the category of a sinner. Right? We don't believe that now. Right? We don't believe if somebody is born handicapped, we don't say, oh, that guy's a sinner. But back then they did. They believed that um, there was a category of people that were considered sinners. It wasn't just like people that did bad things, right? But it was people like prostitutes, tax collectors, um, and, and handicapped people, people that were born blind or people that were born like, you know, with some kind of infirmity. Infirmary, it was uh, also people um, that would need to touch daily, dead things on a daily basis. Right? They were considered unclean, and they were considered uh, to be quote-unquote sinners. Um, and, and this paralytic man that is before Jesus, uh, he, to, to like society, he's considered a sinner. Uh, in John 9, his disciples, Jesus' disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So we, ha- we see this cultural understanding that people born a certain way were sinners, right? Or in some way associated with sin and, w- and didn't uh, meet up to God's expectation. So this man that's like can't walk, right? He's, just, he's a paralytic man. Um, socially and religiously, there is no way for him to be forgiven of his sins, right? You guys understand this, right? right? Because this society has created... This, like, like this religious standard that somebody like this paralytic man, there's nothing that he can do. There's absolutely nothing that he can do for him to be made right and be sinless, right? Like, because he's actually born this way. And so... Inflating me or anything? Oh, okay. Um, I felt like I was like... Marshmallow man. Um... And so the, culturally, there's nothing that he can do. Socially, religiously, uh, he is a sinner, and he is going to remain that way. There's no way for him to be forgiven of his sins. According to the Pharisees and the scribes, and the religious uh, elite, um, he's, he's, that's, he's, just, he's, he's categorized as a sinner. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes and tells this man, your sins are forgiven. Right? He tells this man, your sins are forgiven. Now you have to understand that when the Pharisees and the scribes, um, when the Pharisees and the scribes uh, heard this, this was like, like this was shocking to them, right? Sorry, right? This is the face that they would have had when they saw when. Oh, sorry. Okay. Um, I don't know if you can see this guy. He's not up there, but it's just like there's a picture of a Pharisee going like this, right? Right? It's exactly like this, and he's dressed like on these like nice, like you know, like like um, nice uh, religious robes and whatnot. But this would have like totally like like shocked and angered and just like really, really just uh, uh, you know the re- religious re- re- elites would have saw- seen this happen and they would have just been really angry because what Jesus is saying is like hey your sins are forgiven this went against all of their religious beliefs 
not only did Jesus claim to be God, but in doing this, he undermined everything that the Pharisees and the scribes were doing to be right with God. Right? All of the Pharisees and the scribes are like, man, we're doing all of these things. We're doing all these amazing things. Like we're like able to not, like I don't eat any kind of bacon. I don't eat shellfish. Like I've never tasted shrimp in my life. You know, like I, I'm, I'm so clean and I, I keep my thing. I, I do everything that the law is supposed to, uh, make, like you know, I'm supposed to follow the law in this way. And they're like, I'm doing everything right. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes and he's like, your sins are forgiven. Right? This, this paralytic man who's considered a sinner does nothing. And then Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. This would have angered the scribes, right? This, 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 this is a face, right? They would have been like, what's going on, right? Because in so many ways, right, this goes against everything that they believe. And, this, and, and, they're say, and they say, this man is blaspheming. And I had less, it had less to do with their love of God, but their own religious sacrifices. All of the things that they've been doing, all of the abstaining, all of the sacrifices that they made to be righteous, Jesus tossed it all out the window with these simple words, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. This is like scandalous to the Pharisees. This is scandalous to all of the religious uh, you know, scribes and, and the elites that were listening. And then when the man is healed, it says that the crowd, when, they, when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God, who had, glorified God who had given such authority to men. They're like, this is amazing. Like, this is like, this has to be uh, divine. This has to be, be, be God. But the, the Pharisees and the scribes are like, they're, it's part of my language, but they're pissed. I think that's like the best way to describe it. They're pissed off. Like they're like, I can't believe that this dude has the audacity to come and say this, right? Because it goes against so much of what they built up for themselves. They've built up this society, and I'm going to talk about it later. That it's almost impossible for the sinners to be made right. We, right? We we can do this. This is like you guys talk about like you know like, what's that word? Like privilege, right? This is like the opposite. This is like they mastered this privilege, right? They're like, we are able to do this, but then everybody else, right? It's like almost impossible for them to do it. And and so you know, um, and and this is the beginning of this relationship that Jesus will have with the Pharisees and the scribes throughout the Gospels. And then after this, Jesus calls Matthew, right? AKA, um, his name is also known as Levi. And he's a tax collector. And I, I've taught on this before, but tax collectors were considered one of like the, like the hated, most hated people to the Jews, right? I don't know, like, if you can think of somebody that's really hated in the world today, or somebody that like everybody, like a group of people that like people really hate. But the uh, tax collectors were like, like, there were like sinners, and then there's tax collectors, and they just go hand in hand because they're just both that bad, right? That's what the Jews thought. Like the Roman Empire came and they conquered the Jews and they oppressed them. Right? They came, they oppressed them physically with their armies, but they also oppressed them with taxes. Right? They would keep all these taxes on the Jewish people and they would have to pay all these taxes. And they, they didn't have like Roman people come and collect the taxes. They would hire and they would choose Jews amongst the people to be tax collectors right? for the things, for the people. So they're already hated because, hey, hey you're, you're like one of us. Right? And yet, like, you're trying to, like, lord this, like, tax over us. And then they would also, they were also known to cheat people. Like, they were also uh, known to collect more than they needed 
uh, to line their pockets and then to become rich. So tax collectors, because everybody hated them, right, they would all hang out within themselves with other tax collectors, and they would hang out with this group, and they would fall into this line of people that were considered sinners, right? And whenever in the gospel, whenever you see sinners, you also will see tax collectors. They kind of go hand in hand. They will say Jesus was preaching, and the sinners and the tax collectors were listening, right? And so this is a group of people that are really hated. And uh, and then Jesus calls Matthew. He's a tax collector. He's like, Matthew, come. He's like, Levi. In other gospels, he calls him Levi. It's the same name. And he's like, Levi, come and follow me, right? And then Matthew, he's like, he gets excited, and then he... He throws his party and he invites Jesus, and Jesus is sitting in his house dining with other tax collectors and sinners, right? That's what it says, right? And you have to understand, like, this is unheard of, right? No rabbi would, no rabbi or any kind of teacher in, in Jerusalem, in the Jews, would ever be caught seen sitting with tax collectors, right? That's like the last person that a rabbi is, will be, like, caught, you know, sitting with, but he's sitting there with, um, other, other tax collectors, and he's sitting there with sinners. Uh, and the, and the Pharisees, they saw this, and they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are, were well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, when Jesus tells them this, he's not telling, he's not saying that the Pharisees are righteous. He's not saying like, oh, I came not for the righteous. I, I didn't come for the, the you, your Pharisees are okay. You guys are doing good. And now I'm going to work on the sinners. That's not what he's saying. But he's telling them that the new paradigm of the kingdom, he's telling them the new paradigm of the new covenant. And the new covenant is not the people that think that they're righteous that matter, but it's the ones that realize it. That they are sinners. And, and people that understand that they are wretched, that they're like, they don't met, like meet up, meet God's standard. They can't live up to God's righteousness and they realize that they need to be saved. That's the new mindset of the kingdom. Right? That's the mindset of the new covenant. That they can't do this, right? You know, it's that, it's that first realization of like, hey, I'm a sinner. Right? And, and the people that Jesus hung out with, knew that because everybody told them that they were sinners. They had a category, sinners, sit over there, right? They had another category, tax collectors, sit over there, right? These are people that have been rejected by, by, by society. And you have to understand, this is not like America or Korea. This is a theocratic society, meaning that the government and everything of the Jews is run by the law. It's like, it's, it's over, it's like a religious country. Right? It's like a country where the government is, is a religion. And so if you are a sinner or if you're like a like somebody that's been like ostracized by the by the people, right? It's there's really no way for them to make their way back into it's like in India a long time ago, untouchables. There's no way that the untouchables would ever not become untouchables, right? And then these are the people that Jesus would hang out with. And these are the people that Jesus would eat with. And and um and and this is a central theme of the new covenant. The new covenant is like, hey. You guys can't fulfill this covenant. You guys can't fulfill, like, 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 you know, you guys have done a horrible job of doing this. And now I'm going to come. And then now if you look, if you come to me and you say, like, hey, I'm a sinner. I need you, I need you to save me. I'm going to save you. 
That's the new covenant. That's the mindset of the new covenant. And he's trying to teach to the scribes and teach to the Pharisee this new mindset and just going right over their heads. It's just like, right? He just can't understand it. He's trying to con- con- uh, convey to them the central theme of the new covenant that he's about to lay down. And he tells them this, go and learn what this means. Go and figure this out. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And Jesus is going back to scripture here. He's going back to Hosea 6.6. 6. It says, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offering. Jesus is telling them, our God is a merciful God. He desires everyone come to come to him and receive mercy. And everybody within that to actually show mercy to each other. He's not about sacrifice that you can bring. He's not about things that you can do for him. He wants you to acknowledge him. We need you, God. We need your mercy. We can't do this law thing. We can't figure this out. It's like when you're in class and you're like, you go to the teacher, like, teacher, I can't figure this out. I don't know how to do this, right? It's like, I'm just stumped. And, you, and, and that's the heart of the new covenant. And Jesus tells them this, and it's like, Psh! it just goes right over their head. They're not able to listen. They're not able to even process it in their hearts. They can't even imagine this because their whole understanding of their worth, their value system, their dignity, their self-esteem, it all comes down to whatever, all of these things that they're doing to become righteous, right? That's like, that's their mojo. That's like what, what, like, you know, like, that's what makes everybody look to them. That's what everybody, makes everybody, like, look at them. And that's what gives value to their lives. There's no way that they can open up their hearts and receive this. Because, because their whole value system is based on them following this law and doing everything right and offering the right, right sacrifices. And like, okay, I'm all good with you, God, right? I'm sure there were many moments where people, they would do everything right and they would go to God and be like, I'm all good with you, God, right? All right, you know, I'll see you next month. Now we can see this is the question that is raised as they're still dining, like, that we can see the fact that they complete, they've completely missed what Jesus is saying in the question that they bring up as Jesus is dining. And uh, this question, he, um, in, in, in Luke, it sounds like, or in Matthew, it sounds like the, um, this, it says that the disciples of John the Baptist brought up this question. Um, in Luke, it, it seems like it's a continuation of a question that's asked by the Pharisees. And in Mark, it, it sounds like just somebody randomly asked this question. But I believe that this question... Um, and the question about fasting is actually a, it's a mixture of the, the, the disciples of John the Baptist and the Pharisees and the scribes. And they ask him, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not? Right? I believe this question came as a mixture of, of disciples of John and the Pharisees. And it's a way, like the Pharisees, um, and it's, it, it points to their motive about doing everything, right? Because both the, the disciples of John and Pharisees, they're, they, like, they follow this law where they have to fast twice a week. Right? So fasting twice a week was part of their religious thing back then. Right? And so they, like, twice a week they would come together, they would fast you know, from morning to night to sunset. And, and, and then um, like the, the disciples of John the Baptist were doing this with a, with a pretty good motive. Right? They're like doing it to usher in the Messiah. Right? They thought that it was maybe Jesus, but he doesn't fit the mold. He's like, 
like eating with tax collectors. He's eating with sinners. So, so they're like a little confused. Even though John the Baptist said this is the Messiah, like they don't really know what's going on. They're fasting to see the Messiah come upon this earth. And then the Pharisees, they're just doing it out of tradition. They don't even know why they're fasting, right? They're just doing it as a, and it actually became a symbol, a sign of their holiness and righteousness, right? They would fast and they would make themselves look all skinny and gaunt. And then they would like look all like sickly and people would be like, man, man, you like, you must be fasting a lot, man. You, you're so holy, man. Look at you, right? You, like, you know, like you look at how skinny you are, right? And then, and then Jesus would tell them to do, tell his disciples to do the complete opposite. He's like, yo, put some oil on your face, like fast in secret, put some, like make sure that people don't know that you're fasting, you know, like, like comb your hair, like make yourself look presentable so that people don't think that you're fasting. And, the, and, and this question is brought up, how come we are fasting? How come we're doing everything right? But how come we're doing what we're supposed to do and none of your disciples are fasting? And we're like, they're saying like, we're all disciples here, right? We're disciples of John the Baptist. We're disciples of the Pharisee. And you're disciples of Jesus. How come we're pulling the weight and how come you guys get to eat? Because we're hungry, right? They're like, like we want to eat too. You know, how come you guys are not doing this? And then Jesus tells them this. He says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Jesus is telling him, I don't think you even understand why you guys are fasting. I don't even think that what you guys understand all of these religious things that you're doing. I don't think you understand why you do them. Right? He points everything back to himself. It's like, it's not time for fasting because I'm with you guys. I'm with all of you guys. I'm with all of the disciples. I'm the bridegroom. And while I'm with you, it's not the time to mourn and fast. There's going to be a time when I'm taken away, and then they will fast, and then they will mourn. Right? And they will, like, you know, they will seek my presence. Right? That's what fasting is. There will be a time when Jesus is with them. Like, he's right there. They don't need to fast. But the point of fasting is to yearn for Jesus. Do you guys understand? Who, who's fasted in their life? Right? I've fasted many times, and I believe about 50% of my fasting was just dieting. Right? I got to admit, because like when I, you know, there were times where, you know, like, like, you know, I, like, I feel like I need to fast, and I just, I just won't eat. But then, like, I fill that time with, like, doing other things, like playing video games, or like, you know, like, like, you know, but then the point of fasting, right, Jesus is saying, you don't fast now, you fast when I'm gone. Because the point of fasting is for you to seek me out, and as you fast and you get that hunger, you fill that void with me, and as you hunger for me, you're going to be in my presence. That's the heart of fasting. He's giving a lesson on fasting. Seek me as you fast, and you will see me. You'll be entering into a presence. We fast because we want to see God answer certain prayers, and that's fine. But then that can't be the point of fasting. The point of fasting has to be you seeking Jesus, right? looking, seeking Him in the Word, seeking Him in prayer, seeking Him in 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 in, in, in the closet, like trying to get into His presence. But these Pharisees just fasted for the sake of fasting. They were dieting, right? Like they're trying to get that six pack with a little V right there, you know, not not to look good. But so that people will be like, man, you must fast a lot. You must be super holy, right? That's why, that's the point of their fasting. And Jesus is calling them out. He's saying, like, I don't even think you understand 
why you fast, right? I'm the bridegroom, right? And right now is not the time for fasting. There's going to be a time where you're going to fast and you're going to seek after me. And what Jesus is trying to do is break the old covenant mindset. He's trying to break that old covenant mindset, that mindset of like, how dare he say that he can forgive sin, that mindset that how dare he sit and eat with sinners, how dare they not fast when we're all doing, we're, we're all fasting, right? They shouldn't be looking at him. They should be looking at us, right? That's that old covenant mindset. I can follow these rules and I can become righteous. Look at me. That is that old covenant mindset. And Jesus is trying to break this off. And then Jesus tells them this parable. And he says, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskin. If it is, the skin bursts and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskin and so both are preserved. Um, Jesus is making a stark contrast between old and new. He's telling us that the old cannot mix with the new. You can't take an old garment, you know, that's already shrunk. You know, you guys were, they used to wear like linen and stuff like that, and wool, and it's already shrunk, and then there's a hole in it, and then just you just get a patch of new, fresh cloth, put it on there, sew it on, and then wash it and dry it. It's just gonna, that, that piece is gonna just get shrunk, and it's gonna leave a hole that's bigger than, than the original hole. Who, whose parent, whose mom ever did that? Did, did you, did your mom ever patch your clothes? Anybody? I grew up in a, I grew up in a time where, Holes in your jeans was not fashionable, right? So this is how the tr- fashion trend goes, right? I grew up where it was not fashionable, and then it was fashionable, and then it wasn't fashionable, and then now it's fashionable again, right? They're like, that's how old I am, right? I, I started in the, in the, in the early 80s, right? It, w- it wasn't cool to have like holes in your jeans, right? Like you needed to have like that, you know, fresh Jordache jeans with a little horse on the butt, right? And then my mom, whenever I would get these holes, she worked at the dry cleaners, and she would, like, patch all my clothes, right? And it looked so ugly, right? That she never matched, like, the same kind of jean or whatever. It was just, like, whatever jean that she could find at the dry cleaners, she'd make a little circle, and she'd put a patch over it, like, put a bunch of, like, you know, like, sewing marks all over it, and she'd tell me to wear it, right? That's, that's how I grew up. But, it, but when Jesus is talking about it, it's like, you can't mix this old garment with this new patch because it's, it's just not going to go together. And the same way, we can't take new wine, which hasn't had a chance to ferment, right? You know, fermentation process creates gas. It creates hydrogen and carbon dioxide. And if you breathe it, you get high. Don't tell me how I know that, right? Um, as you make alcohol, like the, 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 it, it, the, all of the stuff that's happening inside the alcohol, it, it creates gases and whatever it's contained in starts to expand. And so if you put new wine, which is still not done fermenting, into, into dried old wineskin, right, that's it's already been all stretched out, right, as the gas expands, it's just going to pop and burst. Right? That's what Jesus is saying. And, you know, what, what Jesus is trying to get at is that the old covenant mindset can never be mixed with the new covenant that he's given. The old covenant mindset cannot just be, like, the foundation Sorry, the foundation for the new thing that God is doing. 
all of the things that the Pharisees are holding on to, all of the preconceived notions about God and who He is, and based on all of these old covenant things, will not fly with the new covenant things. It's not that God changed, right? It's not that God changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament, right? It's not that God changed, He made a promise, He's like, oh no, I changed my mind. What He's doing is He's doing a new thing. God doesn't change, but He does new things all the time. And in Isaiah 43:19, it says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He's doing a new thing. And Jesus is saying, there's, there's a, the, the old and there's a new, and there's this point where you're going to have to change in order to come and, and, and be under the new. He's saying this to the, to the Pharisees. He's saying this not to his disciples, but he's saying this to the people that are looking at Jesus saying, like, hey, how are we going to trick this guy? How are we going to trap this guy? Right? And he's offering them salvation here. Because you need to be changed. You need to be transformed. You can't take, like, a piece of old wineskin and try to, like, do something to it to make it new. Right? You have to be made new. You have to be transformed. He's offering them salvation here. Second Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. God wanted to do something new in their lives. He wanted to break down their old mindset that they had and give them this new covenant, which actually fulfills all of the old covenant. Jesus fulfilled the old covenant. All of the things that the religious scribes are doing, you know, like not eating shrimp, not eating bacon, Two of my favorite foods, by the way, right? Like washing their hands religiously and like following all of these little things. All of that is fulfilled with the new covenant. That all of that is fulfilled by Jesus, right? And, and it's fulfilled under grace and it's fulfilled under mercy because he desires mercy. He's not about sacrifices. He came to fulfill the law. But all this went right over the heads of the, of the Pharisees. Right? He, would, he would say this, and they're just like, shh, goes right over their head. They couldn't hear anything of what he was saying. Because remember, when Jesus talked, he said, this is why I teach in parables, right? It's not, like, not everybody is going to be able, to, not everybody's going to understand. They're not going to be privy to the, the secrets of the kingdom. And these are the secrets of the kingdom. He's, he's like offering to the people. The secrets of the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom that I'm going to establish. It has nothing to do with your righteousness. It has everything to do with my righteousness. This is the kingdom that I that had nothing to do with all of the things, the fasting, and all these things that you're doing. It has everything to do with me transforming you and making you into new wineskins. Jesus is telling them all the religion that you have created for yourself has to go. And you need to be made new. You need to be new wineskins. Now, we know that the Pharisees didn't receive this lesson because uh, that Jesus gives them because their heart, their hearts even get harder, right? They're not when, this is the beginning of the relationship between Jesus and the scribes, right? Later on, they're like Jesus calls them like a brood of vipers and like a coffin with dead man's bones and all this. Like Jesus goes at the Pharisees, right? Some of the harshest language. In the Bible, Jesus says it's all towards the Pharisees, right? And this, this it, it, their hearts aren't open. Actually, it gets even harder, and they, in the end, they plan to murder Jesus. 
and they stick out, then they stick with the old, and we and it keeps them holding on to the old. And I want to let you know what what keeps us holding on to old things. What keeps us holding on to old dead things is pride and tradition. Right? Pride, the original sin. Okay, they can't let go of the system that keeps them at the top of the hierarchy. They can't let go of the system that makes them, you know, like you know, who makes them shine, makes everybody think that, you know, this and that. And then the second one is tradition, religion. We've always been this way. We've always done this this way. It's stubbornness and it's the hardened heart. And yet, and this is what I want to talk about earlier: is that the Pharisees were not just about the written law, right? The Torah the written law of Moses, but they actually were believers of, and they actually said, said that the written law and the and the oral tradition are equal. This is very important, because the oral tradition isn't the written law of God, but it's all of the things that were passed down to all of the elders, through all the generations, from all the way back in Moses, right? They believe that this oral tradition of all of these things that they came up with was equal to the written word of God, right? And at the end of the day, these oral traditions became things about rules and rituals and things like that that were passed down along the way that has really nothing to do with the, with the written law, uh, word of God. And so these, these like oral traditions are, are passed down. And, and it says in Mark 7, 7, Pharisees asked Jesus why his disciples don't wash their hands according to the traditions of the elders. And and they and like these you know like why doesn't your your you know your disciples wash their hands and then Jesus tells them well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me in vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of God so then the Pharisees the reason why Jesus was so like angry with the Pharisees is they, here's a written word of God, and then they're thinking, okay, that is the same as all of, like at the same level as all of these written tradition that's been passed down from generation to generation, elder to elder, passed down through all this time, all these rules and regulations that 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 the Pharisees and the scribes have created for themselves, and saying that this is the word of God, this is the law of God. We have to be careful as a church and as Christians what part of our faith is from God and what is created by man. Tradition. What, what are we doing? Are we holding on to God's word or are we holding on to God's word and all these different traditions and things that we feel like we have to do to be made right with God? All of these things that we, we feel like we need to stand up for and all of these things so that we're right with God. That Jesus might come back and he'd be like, man, what did you guys do? Like, like, why did you focus on this? It had nothing to do with my original, what I taught you, right? He might come back and be like, what, what do you mean you didn't talk to them because they were, they were drink alcohol? Like, what do you mean you didn't talk to them because they smoke cigarettes, right? What do you mean you didn't talk to them because they like other guys? And you know, like, these are things that, that Jesus will come back and, and they will be like, man, why, why did you put so much weight into these things when it has nothing to do with what I taught you? You have to be careful. You're going to fall into this thing that the Pharisees fell into. And it, it, they, it came from a place of pride and tradition. When you hold on 
to man-made things, you can't see the new thing that God is doing. You know, the world is changing. You know, constantly, America, there's, I talked about it last week, there's this great divide. There's all of these things that, are, that, that people are pointing. We have to understand, we have to be able to right now differentiate what is the Word of God and what are the traditions of man. And, and God says that He's going to continue to renew us. Right? He's going to continue to make us new. We're not, like the church is going to continue to be renewed. We as Christians, we're going to continue to be re- I hope I'm not the same Christian that I am now when I'm like 67 years old. I hope like I'm more wise, right? I, I, hope, I hope I have more wisdom, right? We need to continue to grow and change for God. 2 Corinthians 4.16, For we do not lose heart, though we, our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And what God brings with the new covenant isn't pride and tradition, it's humility and relationship. That's the new covenant. Right? The new covenant is founded on, on, on humility and in relationships. Are we humbling ourselves and going after the, the relationship that God calls us into? Are we holding on to tradition from a place of pride? We have to be aware of this as a church, and we have to be aware of this as individuals. Now, Jesus said this parable, and he talks about garments and wineskin. I'm going to close with this. What does this new garment and this new wineskin look like? Because I believe Jesus chose garments and he chose wineskin for a reason, right? Because you know, these are the secrets of the kingdom. I believe there's a secret in this, right? So what are these new garments and wineskin? Well, I believe that Jesus chose garment because we, when we accept the new covenant, the, the, the new covenant, right? God clothes us. He clothes us with His righteousness. Now, Isaiah 61:3, it says, "To grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified." Isaiah 61:10. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He was He was He was wrapped me with robes of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. The new covenant is all about not. We don't have to work for this. We don't have to earn this. We just have to accept it. And He clothes us with His righteousness. He clothes us. He gives us His garment. And it's like, hey, this is my righteousness. I know you don't deserve this. It's like a Letterman jacket back then. I don't know if you guys have Letterman jackets where you're from, but in America we have Letterman jackets. I lettered, I never got a jacket, right? It's too expensive. I think I told my mom, and she's like, you just saw it, right? It was like 200 something bucks back then. And so like, there's a Letterman jacket, and then you have to earn that jacket, right? You gotta earn, you gotta be varsity of a team, sports, to earn that jacket, right? But then Jesus takes his garment of righteousness and he just puts it on us. He's like, hey, you don't deserve this, but I'm just going to put this on you because I love you. He clothes us with his righteousness. He clothes us with his grace. All those Pharisees are always very concerned about the clothing that they wore. So you saw that picture earlier, right? I don't know if that was a good re- representation of what they wore, but they were very meticulous about the clothes that they wore, right? They never went out with a T-shirt and flip-flops, right? Like it, was, it wasn't like they wore sandals, but they were like good sandals, right? Like, you know, like it, they presented themselves in this outward way where they're always looking well and looking nice and looked like everything was right and they did everything right. 
But nothing that they could could match the righteousness of God that he wanted to clothe them. The righteousness of God, that of grace that he wanted to put them, that they just needed to accept it. They just needed to receive him. He clothes us with his righteousness. He clothes us with his mercy, his goodness, his grace through his blood. And then Jesus talks about wineskin. It's a vessel. It's a container. The new wineskin is one that is eager to be filled. When you realize that you need a Savior, you cry out. It's a disposition of that heart that cries out, I need you. I need you to fill me up. I need you because like, I can't do this. And it's a vessel that when it is filled, it's pliable, it's flexible, it stretches and it grows, we will be changed by what's inside of us. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. He is the new wine. He is in us. And when He is in us, He wants to expand. And that's the new wineskin. Is this yearning to be filled, yearning to, like, to want Jesus, to be with Jesus, right? Right, that's the new wineskin that Jesus is talking about. It's not about like making us up right. You know, like it's not about like, okay, I, I need to be new wineskin, so I need to like, you know, like start doing these things and I need to like, you know, like read the Bible this much. Yes, reading the Bible is very important. Praying is very important. These are things that, you know, like I need to like, you know, go to Sunday like Bible study, I gotta do this, I gotta do that. I gotta evangelize to this many people. Like these are the things. No, th- that's not new wineskin. New wineskin is Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need to be filled. Jesus, what's inside of me sucks. Right? That's the new wineskin. Because the, the old wineskin, right, was what the Pharisees were doing. If I do this, if I wear these clothes, if I make sure that I wash my hands this many times, and I make sure I don't touch this, and I never eat this, and I never eat that, and I do this and I do that, then I'm going to look right. But then they're empty inside. But then what Jesus is offering is a like, man. I have new wine for you. I have wine that's amazing. I, I just I want to fill you up, but you need to be new wines. You need to like you need to want this. You need to open up your heart and say, Jesus, I need you. When was the last time you you had that in your heart? Like the world will distract us, and the world will like get in our way, and then TV and all these things with politics will we'll keep it. But then at the heart of our, at the center of our hearts, as a believer, we need to have this position. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Right? That's the new wineskin. We need to we need to have a desire in us. Change us, oh God, make me new. Right? That has to be the cry of our heart. That's sometimes like like in the middle of the night, I'll wake up, you know, and then and then God tell me like you need to pray. The Holy Spirit like you need to pray. I start praying, and then like I, I always end up in this place like God, I need you. Like I suck, right? I always end up in this place where, like, oh, I, I need you so desperately because I can't do this. I, I, like, like my, my righteousness is dookie, right? Like, there's nothing that, I, and then, like, the, what, what, my, the, what Holy Spirit leads me to is, like, there's a cry in my heart, I need Jesus. We need that in our hearts. We need to have that in our hearts. Because as long as... My inside, as God fills me up with this new wine, you know what's going to happen? My outside's going to change. I'm going to stretch. New wines can, we start to stretch. We start to get bigger. And God starts to shape and form us, right? Our outside will follow, but it has to start in the inside. We need the new wine in the inside. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And we see this new wineskin in the many examples of the people that surround Jesus through this passage of Scripture. The paralytic man and his friend. Right? It says that when they, and when Jesus saw their faith, right, he, he called out to them. Right? They, his friends bring this paralytic man to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, I know you can do something for him. Right? I, know, I know that you're special. I know that you, he needs you. And the paralytic man is like, I need you. And he's like, when I saw, Jesus saw their faith, right, he healed them. That's, that's new wineskin right there. It's like, oh, we need you. Matthew, Jesus calls Matthew, he's a, he's a tax collector. He's rejected by all of the religious side of society. He's rejected by all of the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all of these C's out there. They're, they rejected Matthew. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes. He's like, Matthew, come follow me. And he's like, oh. You want me to follow you? Oh, oh, oh. I, I, I'm a tax collector. Yeah, I know. Come follow me. And he's like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. And, then, and I think in Luke, he says that he throws this lavish party at his house, right? And this is what Jesus is eating. He throws this party. He's like, oh, if you can call me. Like, I have all of these friends, these sinners, and these other tax collectors. Can you, can you join us? Can you eat with us? Because they need you too. That, that's new wineskin, right? That's when you when he when he when Jesus calls him out, he's radically transformed, and all of a sudden he's like, oh, like like, like there's there, there's other people like me that need you. That's new wineskin. It's when Jesus talks about fasting, about the bridegroom. When he's gone, they will fast, and the, and they would and like they will fast when he's not there anymore, right? And then that's what they do when when Jesus goes away. The disciples they fast. They mourn, they cry out for Jesus, and they and they get into this place where the Holy Spirit comes and they like literally go to the ends of the earth and flip this world upside down. We're all Christians today because of what the disciples did. It's because when Jesus said, Hey, when I'm not here, they're gonna fast. And they did fast. They 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 knew what they were fasting about. They knew what they were crying out for. They're like, Oh, we need we want to see Jesus. We want the world to see Jesus. We want Jesus to come back. And the best example of this new wineskin immediately follows this passage in the book of Matthew. In verse 18, it says, While he was saying these things to them, this is right after he says about the new wineskin and the, and the garment, while he was saying these things to them, and behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died. Come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed them with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a change of a, a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind them and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. If I can only just touch the hem of his garment, if I can just just, just touch him, then I know that I'm going to be made well. That's new wine that's knowing that God, Jesus can transform us. Jesus can change us. Jesus can change my dad. Jesus can change my mom. Jesus can change my friend. Jesus can transform anybody. Nobody is too hopeless for the, for they just need a touch of Jesus and they will be transformed. They will be healed. That is new wineskin. That's the heart that we need to have. If we want to be, if we want to be under this new covenant. How much of that are we is in our hearts? You know, I, like I have to confess, our 
Our church has been through a lot, and at a point in our church, our church was a very Pharisaic. Like, like we, we said that we were spirit-filled, but we, we had a lot of Pharisaic, Pharisaic, is that the way to say it? Pharisaic rules. And I, as a pastor, I, I apologize, and I, I say I'm sorry, you know, but there's a new direct. God is doing a new thing. Like, do you believe it? Do you believe that God is doing a new thing in our community? Do you believe that God is doing a new thing in the kingdom of God at this hour? And God is crying out for for new wineskin. He has new wine for us. And it starts from this place of brokenness where we say, Jesus, we need you. Jesus, if you just touch me, I know that I'm going to be made well. Jesus, if I could just touch the fringe of your garment, and I know that, that I'm going to be made well. We need your grace. We need you. We need your presence. We need you. We need the new wine. The religious leaders, they thought that they could save themselves. Jesus came to show them that they couldn't and that they needed him. But what they did, they just rejected him. They actually hung him on a cross. And he had new garments for them, for them to be clothed in righteousness instead of them trying to work and everything out and make everything and do everything right. They rejected him. But today, I want to encourage you guys. Let us wear God's righteousness. Right? We don't earn. We don't earn it. We don't. We, there's nothing that we can do to earn His right. We just accept it and say, Jesus, this is from You and from what You did on the cross. And let us be new wines. Let us cry out and call out for Jesus. Let's be people like that woman. And we just say, God, if I could just touch the edge of His 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 garment, if I could just touch, I know that I know that He could transform. I know that He can save me. I know that He can He can heal me. Let that be the cry of our hearts. Let that be the, the yearning in our hearts. Right? And if you're not there, right, it's okay. You don't get there. But you, you do have to face Jesus. You need to continue to look to Jesus. Right? Let's all stand up and let's close.